0: You know, for most of us pastors, one of our goals in preaching is to clearly communicate the Word of God. And, uh, you know, we want people leaving the worship service saying, yeah, I understood that, Um, he wasn't talking ivory tower, uh, because sometimes that's what happens, you know, pastors are talking in the clouds and... Uh, that makes it uh, very difficult for the person in the pew to get a handle on what's being said. As uh, uh, one of my friends once said, if there's mist in the pulpit, there's fog in the pew. Uh, Well, we don't want any uh, mist anywhere or any fog anywhere here this morning. So Luke chapter 4, today we consider the theme of good news for the poor. And I'll begin reading at uh, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the, seventh, on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When considering the three years of ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, this segment in Luke 4 is very significant. Jesus had successfully resisted the temptations of Satan and now was ready to launch his ministry. Uh, Nazareth was his hometown, and uh, this synagogue of Nazareth, um, it was here where he makes an astonishing claim. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he says. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has called me to set prisoners free and to grant recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus was, in fact, laying out his job description. God has anointed me, he says, to uh, preach the good news to the poor, to set prisoners free, people who are under the power of sin. Uh, Jesus came to set people free from personal and cultural enslavements. Back in the time of Christ, people were under the power of various kinds of uh, institutions and traditions, uh, legalism, for example. Back then, not many people knew uh, the joy of a personal relationship with God. All they were familiar with was this long list of do's and don'ts. For example, on uh, on the Sabbath day, there was a some 400-plus things that they were not allowed to do on God's day of rest. In addition to the cultural enslavements, there were also personal <laughs> enslavements. The man from Garasa had a multitude of evil spirits taking up residence in his life. He knew firsthand the awful wretchedness of Satan's power. Zacchaeus felt the vice grip of the love of money. The ten lepers felt the stigma of being social outcasts. By the power of God, Jesus set them all free from their prisons. And once set free, uh, they experienced a joy that just couldn't be found anywhere else. Today also, Jesus is setting people free from the things that enslave them, whether it's alcoholism or sexual addictions or spousal abuse. The good news of Jesus Christ leads to transformation. We see it in Papua New Guinea. Many people in PNG are under the power of sorcery. They're afraid that someone in their village has paid the local sorcerer to perform some incantation that will bring misfortune into their lives some way or another. They live in fear of sorcery. Alcohol is another force that enslaves I think of uh, the mayor of Ambunti, uh, where we live, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, a few years back, this mayor had a major problem with uh, the twin forces of drunkenness and spousal abuse. Often those two go hand-in-hand hand in, hand in PNG. Now, thankfully, this, man was, uh, this mayor was willing to do a Bible study with me on the topic of drunkenness, and then later on he studied what the scriptures teach about how one is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And studying the word of God made an impact on him. They spoke to his heart. So he no longer uh, gets drunk. He no longer abuses his wife. Jesus states up front that he was sent to preach the good news to the poor. He spent a good share of his time ministering to the poor, not exclusively, to be sure. He also took time to minister to middle-income, upper-income people, people like Nicodemus, like the Roman centurion, like Simon the Pharisee, and, and Zacchaeus. Everyone needs Jesus, regardless of level of affluence. Still, Jesus spent a good deal of time ministering to the poor. When John the Baptist was languishing in prison, he struggled with doubts as to whether he was going to end up a dead man, struggled with doubts also as to whether Jesus was in fact the Messiah sent by God. And so he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus to ask, in effect, are you the one who was to come or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus replies to those messengers of John, go and see and tell. go tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And that information was exactly what John needed to be convinced that Jesus was in fact the Messiah sent by God. Now, why did Jesus spend a good deal of his time ministering to the poor? One of the reasons, I believe, is that the poor tend to be a little more responsive to the gospel. Martin Luther once said some 500 years ago, the good news is preached to the poor because the rich regard it not. Those who are poor materially have a tendency to be a little more humble, a little more aware of their needs. And that applies not only materially, but also spiritually. They're a little more hungry spiritually, a little more aware of their spiritual needs, a little more ready to recognize their failures and their need of a Savior. Not to say that being impoverished is a good thing. There's nothing intrinsically virtuous about poverty. Because poverty has its drawbacks just as wealth has its challenges. Proverbs 30 says it well. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say who is the Lord. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So notice the twin dangers. On the one hand, the danger for the wealthy is self-sufficiency. The wealth person has a tendency to say what it says in Deuteronomy 8. My power and the might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. I don't need anybody's help. I'm fully capable of looking after myself. And God's response in Deuteronomy 8 is, You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And so if we do become wealthy, you we need to remember that God is the one who shaped us. He is the one who's given us the kind of background that we have. He's the one who's given us the parents that we have and the kind of education that we have. He's the one who has shaped the kind of personality that we have. And so if we do become wealthy, we need to be able to say, yes, Lord, you are the one who has given me the power to get wealth. The danger at the other end of the spectrum is the poor person who despairs of his condition and resorts to theft, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. When Robin Hood steals from the rich and gives to the poor, it's still theft and it dishonors the name of God. Are there poor people who are resistant to the gospel? Most certainly. Many millions of poor are blinded by Hinduism, Islam, animism, materialism, secularism, lots of other isms. Satan is a master at deception. Both rich and poor get duped. Conversely, there are many rich who convert and claim Jesus Christ as Lord. As followers of Christ, our Lord calls us to holistic ministry. Jesus ministered to the whole person. Um, He proclaimed the good news. At the same time, he granted physical healing to many people. In Papua New Guinea, it's our privilege to be involved in holistic ministry. There are many poor people in the interior of PNG who don't know who, how to read and write, whose children as well are illiterate, and they're so eager to have their children learn how to read and write, to get out of the, the trap that they're in. So our primary ministry is, as you saw in the DVD, to uh, establish Christian elementary schools in the interior of Papua New Guinea where children wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity for any kind of education. We're also personally involved with people. Uh, Penny has been reaching out to a woman who has suffered much physical abuse uh, at the hands of her husband. She's been married for 20 years. About five years ago, her husband took a second wife. Polygamy is legal in Papua New Guinea. The second wife is a younger, more attractive woman who sometimes stirs up her husband to abuse wife number one. But God has been at work in the heart of this woman, Josephine, And she no longer hates her husband. She now worships regularly and is learning what it means to walk with Jesus and to look to him for strength. Josephine is one of the poor. She is one of the least of these who is great in God's kingdom. We in the United States are a very privileged people. We have interstates to take us quickly to where we want to go. We have powerful computers that give us speedy access to whatever information we need to have. We have uh, dependable electricity and heating and cooling and washers and dryers. Most Papua New Guineans don't have electricity, refrigerators, running water, basic stuff. The household, average household income in PNG is about. $900 per year, and for many of those living in the interior, it's much less. And as missionaries, we very much feel the disparity in income levels. When we live in PNG, our lifestyle isn't nearly what it is when we're here in the U.S. But still, while in Ambunti, we enjoy many Western conveniences. We do have a refrigerator, freezer, stove. Electricity for 14 hours a day. We try to live a modest lifestyle so as to not alienate our brothers and sisters. The question before us then is, how should we then live? How should we in North America be conducting ourselves in light of uh, the income disparity? Well, firstly, we need to give thanks for the bounties that we enjoy. For the health care, for the jobs, the homes, the cars, the vacation. It's evidence of God's great goodness to his people. Secondly, to give generously. By giving a portion of our income, we are honoring the Lord. And at the same time, we are demonstrating our concern for brothers and sisters who are much less privileged than we are. It's evidence of our love for God and God's people. And then thirdly, to develop hearts of compassion for those who are in need. Jesus spelled it out for us in Matthew 25 when he said that when we care for brothers and sisters who hardly have enough clothes to wear, who at times feel hunger pangs, who are languishing in prison, when we minister practically to such people, we are in fact ministering to Jesus himself. It's fascinating to me that there are even non-Christians who are acknowledging the effectiveness of Christian ministry among the poor. Some time ago, I came across an article that was just absolutely stunning to me. Uh, Matthew Paris is a writer for the London Times in the United Kingdom. He wrote an article entitled, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. (laughs) Go figure. It's an absolutely stunning article. Matthew Parris, this writer uh, for the London Times, grew up in Malawi in Africa. Spent his boyhood there. Um, Recently, he traveled back to Africa to his boyhood home. It had been some 45 years since he he was last there. When When he returned, he was impressed with what Christians, the local Christians, were doing. The way he previously thought was that the practical work of Christian organizations in Africa was worthwhile. He wrote in his article, it's great that missions are involved in establishing hospitals and schools and teaching children to read and write, but he says it's a pity that salvation has to be a part of the package. If faith is needed to motivate the missionaries then fine, but what counted was the practical help, not the faith. But, says Mr. Paris, based on my recent trip to Africa, I've changed my mind. I now realize that government projects and international aid efforts alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, he says, and this isn't an atheist saying this, Christianity changes people's hearts. He says it brings about a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. He says faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to his flock. He says about African Christians, quote, far from having cowed or confined their converts, their faith seems to have liberated and relaxed them. There is a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealings with others. They stood tall. He says, in my recent trip to Malawi, I met no missionaries. He says, you do not encounter missionaries in the lobbies of expensive hotels discussing development strategies as you do with the NGOs. Instead, he says, I met African Christians who were a part of the pump aid team. They didn't identify themselves as Christians, but I figured it out. They were impressive, and I realized that their honesty, their diligence, and their optimism arose out of their Christian faith. The article is absolutely amazing. It's it's so wonderful to see an atheist being impacted. You at Faith CRC are blessing a lot of poor people around the world. You need to realize that. Uh, Through your gifts, through your prayers, you are making an impact uh, through the missionaries and the ministries that, that you support around the world. Through being involved, you are making a difference for eternity. All of us at times experience discouragement discouragement in our lives. We get sick, and it gets us down. We see a downturn in our income, and it affects us emotionally. And this discouragement can continue for weeks or even months. You know, things go negatively for us, and it just seems to keep on and... Discouragement just stays with us, and after a while, we, we kind of start feeling like what has been said about the Chicago Cubs. Anyone can have a bad century. We all face that kind of discouragement, and we can let the discouragement get the best of us. Um, but the poor that's how the poor people feel in places like Papua New Guinea. Many poor people feel that kind of way. They, they feel like things are never going to go their way, and they kind of give up. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Lord is able to help the poor out of their poverty. And it's a great thing to see a village in the interior of Papua New Guinea uh, to see uh, all the parents and the adults work together building a school, material, building a, a school using bush material. That's part of the requirement or agreement that we, as a ministry, have with the locals. They need to uh, build the school building using bush materials, and then we provide the teachers and and uh, the school supplies, teachers' salaries. But it's great to see them taking that kind of initiative. It, it's great to see them um, being willing to build a grass airstrip, which will take them anywhere from two to four years, because it will. That's something that gives them contact with the outside world. In the Sepik River Valley, uh, because it's so swampy, there aren't any roads around. The the interior of PNG is dotted with grass airstrips. Uh, But it's great to see people in the village uh, uh, build an airstrip, and then they, in turn, will have more opportunities for education and for health care by having a health clinic. All of us, at times, uh, face that discouragement, and it can get the best of us, but the best way to get over the blues is by reaching out to people in need, and hopefully all of us have experienced that. You know, we get down in the dumps, we feel sorry for ourselves, but then all of a sudden an opportunity comes along for us to reach out to someone else, and, and we're involved in ministering to someone else, and afterwards we're... Uh, We just sense, yeah, that the Lord used us, and and we feel much better. And voila, that what seemed previously to be a mountainous problem has been reduced to the size of a molehill. And so when you're feeling the blues, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who should you reach out to. If the Holy Spirit prompts you to reach out to a person at your place of work or in your neighborhood, then do so. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Whatever the Spirit says, you listen. Wherever the Spirit leads you, you go. Whatever the Spirit tells you to do, you do. Jesus was anointed to preach the good news. We also, are anointed to preach the good news. And as we do, we need to make sure that the integrity of the good news is protected. We want to make sure that the word of God does not get distorted or watered down. In Papua New Guinea, there's a major problem with cults. One cult in PNG claims that when you come to worship, you need to wear traditional clothing, not Western-style clothing, traditional clothing, plus Bring lots of coins for the offering. And if you do, then there will be cargo that comes. Cargo from ships coming from Australia or United States or somewhere else. And thousands of Papua New Guineans are getting suckered in by these cargo calls. Here in the United States, the integrity of the gospel is also being challenged like never before. And one of the primary challenges is a popular notion that There are many ways to God. Christianity works, but Hinduism will get you there as well. Islam, Buddhism, they all have their own paths to God. It doesn't matter which path you follow, all end up climbing the same mountain, going to the same God. Now, millions of people have bought into that lie in our country. Jesus most emphatically rejected such a notion. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's striking how passionate the Apostle Paul was about the uniqueness of the gospel. Galatians 1.9, if anyone, including an angel from heaven, preaches to you a different gospel, then what I have preached, let him be eternally condemned. If some pastor, visiting pastor, comes to this pulpit and preaches a gospel other than what is given in God's word, let him be eternally condemned. Paul uses very strong language. The good news isn't just for the poor. It's for all of us. Everyone, regardless of income level, needs Jesus. So embrace the gospel. Hold it dear to your heart. Don't let anyone distort it, compromise it, or corrupt it. The reason we value the word of God so highly is because Jesus is our only hope. He's the only hope for anyone, whether in the United States or Papua New Guinea or anywhere else. He is the only one that can satisfy the deepest desire of our hearts. We may try to have other things satisfy, uh, bring about lasting satisfaction in our lives, but it just doesn't work. God has made us with a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and he is the only one that can fill that void. True joy, lasting joy, cannot be found anywhere else and through Jesus Christ. May his name be glorified. May his church increase. And may his kingdom come.